you're listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org. Well, keep your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 3. Today I want to speak to you about being a purpose-driven mother. It's a message that hopefully will connect with a lot of us. A recent women's conference, the main speaker, lady, stood up and said, our role wives is to love our husbands when's the last time you've told your husband i love you and then she did something that i find intriguing she said i want you to take out your cell phones and i want you to text your husband right now these words i love you and then i want you to take your cell phone and hand it to the lady next to you and she's going to re- read the reply from your husband and you'll re- read the reply from his husband her husband and really pandemonium broke out. I love some of these. Look at some of these. You'll see them on the screen. Here was the first response. I think you sent this. I think you sent to this the wrong person. How about this one? Uh, your mother's coming to stay with us, isn't she? I'm going to give you about seven of these. Here's the third one. Yeah, I love you too. What's wrong? Or how about, I thought we agreed you wouldn't drink during the day. I think of uh, one marriage in our churches would really apply. What now? Did you wreck the car again? (laughs) Two more. Honey, are you sick or what? And then the last one, this might be the one that I might say, don't beat around the bush. How much is this going to cost me? (laughs) I might add, what do the kids do now? Yeah. It might have been for you ladies the first time you were at a sonogram and you saw a black and white image that was moving and you understood the gravity of the situation that you were going to be a mother. I remember when I had our first back in the day and I thought our lives are changing now in a radical way. We've got some to care for. And from the moment you saw that sonogram and really your life's been a roller coaster, ups and downs. Because what they do so many times can bring you to the height of emotion of joy and can bring you way down. Maybe today for you being a mother or grandmother, adopted, biological, foster, maybe today you're just embracing the grind and just all about perhaps the drudgery of the days. Yes, a lot of days can be described as duty. But for the next few moments, I want to remind you or perhaps tell you what your purpose in life is, why God and his supreme intelligence put you on this earth. And this is a message really for all of us. It could be for single moms. It could be for every believer in the room, why God has given us purpose here, why he has decided to give you breath and oxygen and let blood course through your brains. And some of you mothers today, you bring home a paycheck even. You do so much, and then you feel guilty for the time that you're away from your kids. And there's a lot of you who are single mothers, and there's no one who can pitch hit for you. There's no really time off. Get this stat. Within one mile of where I'm standing, 44% are single mothers. 44% are single mothers. And so for the next few moments, I want to help moms and what your purpose is. But for all of us today... I want to show you why God is designed to give you breath. In Ephesians chapter 3, the text of Scripture says these words. Paul writes, of this gospel, I was made a minister. I want to stop right there. 
of this gospel, I was made a minister. So today, if you've embraced the Lord Jesus Christ, God wants you to be a minister. I didn't say clergy. I said to be a minister. I didn't say he wants you to wear a funny-looking collar or have your name as reverend. God has created you to be a minister. Now, that word minister is the Greek word diakonos, from which we get our word deacon. Of this gospel, I was made a deacon. And the word means to serve. It means to wait tables. Now, perhaps you say, Pastor, I didn't need you to tell me that I'm to wait on these kids of mine. That's all I've been doing all my life is waiting on them. I love the story. came from a school teacher. She'd been teaching her young kids the word magnet, six-letter word, magnet, M-A-G-N-E-T. She'd been talking about how the magnet can pick up things and how important a magnet is and all this. So the next day when the kids came back together, she gave them a little test. Here's what the quiz said. My full name has six letters. I begin with the letter M. Hint, I pick up things. Who am I? 50% of them said mom, mothers, right? But you and I are called as ministers. Every believer who's embraced the Lord Jesus Christ is to serve or to wait on people. That's why narcissistic people are not happy. God made you to serve other people. And if you've embraced Christ by faith, you are to be about ministering, putting the needs of others in front of you. I love what other school-age children were asked recently. They were given a number of questions, various questions about their mothers, and their answers were fascinating. One was asked, what ingredients are a mother made of? What ingredients are your mother made of, I should say? She said, child said, God makes mothers out of clouds and angel hair and everything nice, and then one dab of me. And I like this one. What kind of little girl was your mother? One son said, I don't know, because I wasn't there. <laughs> but my guess is she was pretty bossy. <laughs> but they did say she used to be nice back in the day, right? Mom and every believer, teenage believer, child believer, you were made to be a minister. And don't forget your calling. You have a purpose. You are a servant. You are a minister. You are a God-given purpose, my friend. Your purpose is not to make a bunch of money. Your purpose is not to hang a bunch of degrees or have a lot of accolades. Your purpose, mom, is not even to just enjoy your family or grandkids. Well, that's a great benefit. Your purpose is to serve. And I want to remind you the dignity of serving because none other than Jesus Christ is called a minister. In your Bible, the New Testament, Romans chapter 15, verse 8, Jesus is called a diakonos, a minister, a servant, a deacon. There is great dignity in serving. And had you been hanging out with Jesus back in the day with the 12, he would have been about putting other people's needs in front of himself. Now, don't doubt your calling, moms. Don't doubt your calling, single mothers. It's tiresome. It's difficult. It's challenging. But before you were ever born, God was putting together your chromosomes, your DNA. He was molding and shaping you for this purpose, to serve. Now, back in verse 7, I want you to see the, the connection now. The word minister, you might just circle that in your Bible. I hope you're a note-taker in God's Word, the word minister. And then go ahead and just bring that over to the word gospel in verse 7. Gospel and minister, I want you to put those two together. 
Because your purpose is not just to serve aimlessly. Your purpose is not just to serve without purpose. Your purpose is to serve as a minister of the gospel, as one who brings people to faith in Christ. The Bible says in verse 7 of this gospel, I was made a minister. Now, what is the gospel? The gospel is the truth of this. While we should be God's enemies, while we should be God's enemies, Christ came on the cross to make us God's friend. That's why we open our mouth. That's why we mom. That's why we dad. That's why we're here. We're made as ministers of the gospel. So the, don't ever forget that. Every load of laundry you do, every bill that you pay, every time you drive kids to school, your greater purpose is to bring them to the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And once the family has embraced Christ, your goal is then to have them as ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ. You may be raising policemen. You may be raising clergy one day. You may be raising doctors or plumbers. But the purpose is that they would be ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ. And like any good ambassador, if I'm ambassador for the United States in a foreign country, I'm there touting the greatness of the United States of America, and God put me on this earth to tout the goodness and the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ. So every trip to the grocery, every homework assignment is for the purpose of training up the next generation to know the Lord Jesus Christ and to make him known. Don't forget your purpose, moms. Don't forget your purpose, believers. You're commissioned with a purpose. It's not a political purpose. It is a higher purpose because every single mom, every single child, every single man will be before the Lord Jesus Christ one day. And so God has given me the purpose and privilege of raising three in that next generation. It's not just the purpose of getting them out on their own and paying their bills, but Lord Jesus, please come. <laughs> getting them their own place, oh, Lord Jesus, please come. There's a bigger purpose than that is to get them before the throne of God one day. That is the big purpose, and this is why we serve. So, Mom, your purpose is more than diapers and wiping runny noses. It's more than bringing home a paycheck and more than being a nurse. You are a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to extend this one step further, right there in verse 7, but now move it into verse 8, where the Bible says in Ephesians 3, to me, Paul, that's Paul the apostle writing this, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me. And that's all it's about, my friends, the grace of God, to preach. Notice that next phrase. Here's our purpose, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And so we are given this purpose. I just want to drive this home. I want to remind you of what Jesus said when he was 12 years of age. I'm to be about my father's business. That's what he said at 12. And then at the end of his life, while hanging on a cross, Jesus said these words, it is finished. Those are really tremendous book frames to his life. From the beginning to the end, he lived a well-lived, purpose-driven life. He completed the mission the Father had given him. And like Jesus and like Paul in Ephesians 3, every one of us has a purpose. And it's critical, moms, that we understand our purpose. And studies show, moms, you're incredibly equipped to do this. In fact, the Household of Faith study, 2019 study, this just kind of reinforced some things but brought some things even cl clear for me. When asking teenagers who they most often talk about God with and their faith with, the number one answer is their mother. Mom is still the go-to person when talking about God and faith. 
they're more likely to pray with their mother. 80% of teens or more said they're more likely to speak to their mother about questions of faith. Mom are still the go-to person for teenagers for questions about the Bible and politics and things that bother them. Mothers are the main spiritual coach. They form the faith of the next generation overwhelmingly in America. And they are the number one person that these teenagers, these students are coming to when encouraged to go to church, to talk about God and his forgiveness and teach about things in the Bible. And that's why, mothers, you've got to put your face on me for just a moment. It is so clear that you understand your purpose. You're not raising another generation of cheerleaders only. Your purpose is not to raise a generation of scholarship, accolade students, or tremendous athletes. They may be the best bowler in five zip codes, but when they get before the throne of God, he's not going to ask if they bowled a perfect score. You are to put them and encourage them in the faith. This is your purpose. This is your role. And you've got to to be hard-nosed about that. You've got to have some grit about you and not back up and not back down. Sometimes you're doing this when there's no man, no male voice that's encouraging and helping you, but you're to preach that word, verse 8. You're to preach to your family the purposes for why we were here. And when you think about a mother, she really has so many roles, doesn't she? My wife has four kids, one that brings home a paycheck. She's a nurse, counselor, spiritual advisor, educator, nutritionist, accountant, transportation, center, amen? My wife at one time spent about three hours of every day getting kids to school and out of school. She's a maid, a peacemaker, and an entertainer of all those things. God has put you on this earth mothers for a purpose. But again, for every believer, you may be a single mother, you may be a married mother, you may be a stepmother, adopted mother, you may be a believer who is single here today, you may be a teenager. You have as a believer a great commission, purpose for breathing, to communicate the gospel. In fact, in verse 8 and verse 9, the Bible again says to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, as a believer, you have a ministry, but you also have a mission. And your mission is to communicate this gospel. In the English version of Ephesians 3, it does a, a poor job here. The word preach embedded in verse 8 is a misnomer because truly the word is evangelize. That's the word there. Behind your English version is a Greek version. And the rooted word in verse 8 is to evangelize to the Gentiles. Now, the reason that's important it's because a lot of you think of preaching as something that you do with a certain outfit on, and you have some sort of pulpit, and you do something really formal on Sunday. No. Every believer is called to evangelize. That is to communicate the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's your purpose again, that God brought us into this world, and as he brings us in this world, we were at one time enemies with him, but because of the cross of Jesus Christ, Christ has come to make us friends. So the word isn't preach, the word is evangelize. And I might just encourage everyone in the room just to write that word evangelize right over verse 8. Right over the word proclaim, right there in the pages of your scripture. What is your mission? Your mission, mom, is to introduce every person in your sphere of influence to the Lord Jesus Christ. You are to tuck them in at bed at night and wake them up in the morning, and you're to bring them to Jesus Christ. You to remind them that one time they were an enemy of God, or perhaps they're an enemy now. 
but by Christ and the cross, he will make peace. This is your eternal significance. It's more important than whatever your job is. You may be a high-powered, white-collar, whatever. You may be pulling down so much money and people may listen to you and snap their heels at attention when you come to work and nobody pays attention to you when you come home. But listen carefully. The consequences of your job will not last. The consequences of your mission and your ministry, they will last. Listen to one who's, I get paid to go to dozens and dozens of funerals. And I'm always, I'm always there. You know, we'd never read how much money you make at a funeral. We never read really your accomplishments at a funeral. We do talk about your personal relationship with your family and your friends and how they point to Jesus Christ. And nothing else will matter as much as helping people cross into eternity. You were made for eternity, every one of you here today. You were made to either live in heaven or hell. And depending on what you do with Jesus Christ, And the truth is, the clock of time is ticking. The clock of time is ticking. I'll be 50 this year. My clock is ticking, but the world's clock is ticking. There's less time in this world. The Bible teaches that Christ will return. And nothing that happens in Washington, D.C. is going to change that. Nothing that's happening when you get your college degree will change that. And you've got to share the gospel so your little chicks will embrace the Lord Jesus Christ. But verse 8 is even more important. Not only will it say you'll evangelize, but it says you will evangelize the Gentiles. And that word is the word nations. The word nations. You will evangelize the nations so that the nations will inherit and understand the unsearchable riches of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the word Gentiles in your New Testament, just to kind of make sure we're all on the same page on this, is really a non-Jew. So as I look around the room, we're African non-Jews, and there's Hispanic non-Jews, and there's Caucasian non-Jews, and there's Asian non-Jews. In other words, it makes no difference your racial ethnicity at this point. It has to do with the nations. And so the Bible is teaching us that every color of skin, every person, red, yellow, black, or white, are precious in the sight of God. And that as a mother and a believer, we're to teach our next generation to communicate the gospel to them. This is inherently difficult in an age in which there's so much said in the news media, and there's so much said about race and stereotypes and the following. And mom, your voice is so important here. Your voice is so important. I'm reminded of some years ago when I was starting the college in Lexington, Kentucky, of what is now known as Operation Desert Shield. At the time, George Herbert Walker Bush was drawing a line in the sand with Saddam Hussein, who had invaded Kuwait, if you remember this. Saddam had decided that he wanted, I guess, the oil fields of Kuwait. So the elder Bush gathered together 40 nations, 40, in what he called the Coalition of the Willing. And among the Coalition of the Willing were French and Turks and British, Saudi Arabians, and certainly Americans. And Saddam got out of Kuwait in two short days. Took two days. I remember watching that as a young man thinking, there's going to be a draft. All these green darts. You remember those green darts or those things going in the middle of the night? I thought, Lord have mercy. I'm going to fight a war someplace. But he got out of there in two days. Why? Partly because 40 
nations, 40 different Gentiles, had the same purpose. Everybody came together for the purpose of telling Saddam, you better get your derriere out of this country. It was a tremendous, powerful thing. There was no divisions. The countries came together. It was, again, the coalition of the willing. Now, go back to verse 8, verse 9, and verse 10 of our purpose. It just kind of hold that piece of Operation Desert Short in the background. Our purpose as believers is to evangelize the nations. Now, move down. All these different ethnicities come together so that through the church, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authority in heavenly places. So it's not just that we communicate the gospel personally, but we communicate the gospel personally to all kinds of people, that we're here for the nations, that you as a mom would communicate the power of this. And again, what you cherish, what you prioritize are so important. If you think your purpose is to raise the next generation of great cheerleaders, then cheerleading will be the center of your home. If you think the purpose of your home is to raise the next generation of great athletes, then you'll have great athletics in your home. But what if the purpose is more than athletics and more than academics, and your purpose is to bring them so that they are ambassadors of the Lord Jesus to communicate the gospel to all people? And inside the church, use a voice, have this. And listen, moms, put your faces right here for just a moment. You are important. You are vital. I've watched as my three young adults have moved into adulthood. And the needle has moved because their mother has spoken to them about important subjects, about faith and sex. And I credit her. She is on those topics all the time. It is a needle, broken needle on the record. And I thank God she's a broken needle on the record because they're hearing different voices outside that house. And if she's leaving it up to the 30 minutes they hear me or the 30 minutes they hear Dave and Daniel, it ain't going to work. She's got to be a voice to remind them. She's got to be, you know, five parts guilt and three parts encouragement or some days six parts encouragement and two parts guilt. She's got to have the moxie to put her finger in their chest and say, we ain't having that. That ain't going to happen here. By the way, if you want to be a successful mother and father, it is not about your popularity. You've got to stand up tall on two hind feet. And one of the things you've got to do is communicate how all these races are so important. You know, when your New Testament was written, someone like me, a non-Jew, you know what the moniker of someone like me would have been? It would have been a dog. Gentiles were dogs. There was, such, there was such hatred and animosity and the arch rival. But inside the church, they were brought together. You see it right here. Verse 8, verse 9, verse 10. They're brought together in the wisdom of the church. No ideology is going to pull us together like Jesus Christ. No flag will pull us together like Jesus Christ. He is among without peer. And so we've got to communicate. It's not about racism or prejudice or class or culturalism. The common bond is Jesus. Back to Operation Desert Shield. I found it interesting. Saddam decided to use Scud missiles in the day. And he would point his Scud missiles, even though he invaded Kuwait, he would point his Scud missiles to Israel. He was trying to lure Israel in. They were not among the 40 nations. Because the moment Israel came in, the other Arab nations would bug out immediately. He was trying to divide 
the coalition of the willing. But thankfully, somebody who had the brains put together a Patriot missile, and in heavenly places, it spoke to Saddam that those Scud missiles were not going to work. I don't know what Branch or Lockheed or Bell or whoever put those together. Thank God for that kind of thing. You see, we are to be united in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And today there are hundreds of thousands of Iranian believers and Asian believers, Indian believers, and believers in South America and Mexico and Canada. We're all under the banner of Jesus Christ. That's so important. We have a great commission purpose. So you teach your generations. You let your voice be the one they hear and they remember as they interact with people of different color, of different skin, that they learn those lessons at home. And Paul would say is the banner over every mother would be the Lord Jesus Christ. And you have a great commission purpose. And again, you need to teach the next generation that red, yellow, black, and white, we are all precious in the sight. And we are sent to communicate the gospel to the nations. See, when Jesus was on this earth in his physical body, he had a mission. Again, at age 12, he said, I'm to be about my father's business. At the end of his life, he said, it is finished. And now his physical body is in the heavens, and we as the church are his spiritual body. We're to be about the mission, just as if Jesus' physical body is here on earth. So what do we do as believers? Our primary purpose is to open our mouths and tell people that while we were one-time enemies of God, he has made peace with his enemies through the cross of Jesus Christ. And we're to bring the gospel to all people. Now here at the end of this message, I need to remind you, this is not popular. And you will, if you purpose to do this, you will face Satan. You will face satanic opposition to this because he hates this. He's got thousands of local news and national news people trumpeting. He's got federal people and state people, and he's got the idiot down the block all talking about stupid things about race and how faith should just be inside this room and you shouldn't have your faith outside. And it's more difficult than ever in the culture's eyes to spread the gospel. If you did the kind of thing I'm calling you to do and the Bible's calling on you to do, it's called hatred. But I want to remind you, the man who wrote this, Paul, wrote this from prison. Look at this, Ephesians 3, look at this, verse 13. The Bible says, for this reason I, Paul, actually that's verse 1, for this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. So he wrote this letter from prison. Now verse 13, the book ends of chapter 3, I ask you not to lose heart for what I'm suffering for you, which is for your glory. So the purpose of God got Paul in trouble. He was in prison for it. Paul was not in prison because he stole or he murdered. He was in prison because he set about doing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I care not what you are today. You may be working with IT security. You may be a stay-at-home mother. You may be a plumber. You may be a doctor, anything in between. This is your purpose. This is your purpose. By the way, will anybody, will anybody be in heaven one day because you opened your mouth and told them about Jesus Christ? Will anybody be there? You built their house for them. You took your kids. You were their soccer coach, their basketball coach. 
Did you ever stop and talk about Jesus Christ? Paul did. And it got him in trouble. In fact, one of the times he was in trouble, and I just want to put this in front of us because this is so vital. He's in Jerusalem at one place. And Jerusalem, a, a mob, we've seen a lot of mobs in America in recent days. A mob got going. And the mob was especially upset at Paul because they accused him of bringing a Gentile inside the temple. So let me back up. The temple would have had divisions. We don't know anything about this today. We look around here and all races are together. All genders are together. All classes are together here. But imagine if where I'm standing to be the center of the temple, and there'd be a courtyard for women, Jewish women. And there'd be a courtyard for Gentiles, people like me. But I couldn't go in the courtyard for women. I couldn't go in the courtyard where the men Jewish people were. And so the accusation was that Paul took a Gentile, someone like me, inside part of the courtyard that he wasn't allowed to, and Paul didn't do that. So this mob breaks out and it takes roman soldiers to quell the mob and protect paul and then paul in acts 22 gets up and says this it's in front of you when the blood of stephen your witness was being shed i myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him first of all paul says i was just like you i'm a jew just like you i was upset about this thing just like you when we killed stephen i held the garments People like this took off their garments so they could throw the stone better. But that's when he said, God said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Stop there. I love that sentence. If a mob gets together today and accuses you of being pro-Gentile, are you going to get up and say, you know what? You're right. God told me to be Gentile. I'm doing good for the Gentiles. No, probably not. If a mob of Republicans come after you because you're a Democrat, you're probably going to say the most Democratic thing you could say at that moment to save your life. If a mob of Democrats, vice versa, come after you, whatever the thing I just said a moment ago, you're going to do whatever it takes to get your skin out of that room to save your life. Not Paul. Paul said, you guys have accused me of doing the wrong thing, but I didn't do it. But I want you to know God sent me here to communicate the gospel to every single kind of person. You know, for a lot of you in the room, this race thing and the gospel, if it could be making an analogy of a car, some of you tend to think it's more like heated seats or a heated steering wheel. It's an option. But I'm showing you in the Bible, it's not an option. It's more like transmission and engine. It's essential. It's essential. We are here for a purpose, to share the good news of Jesus Christ. So how do I start with this? How do I start with this? You start by praying. You start by praying for your children and with your children. You pray something simple about how the Lord is calling us to bring people together for Jesus Christ. Several weeks ago, I was with a friend on the phone, Jeff, whom I've known for 15 years. And Jeff had gone through a heart attack overseas, and he was one of the most incredibly difficult places to share the gospel with. Nobody paid attention to him. It was hard. There was people attacking Christians where he was. And Jeff said, hey, which of your boys 
Which of your boys, you told me, one of your boys prayed for me every day. Which of those two boys of yours? I said, gosh, Jeff, I don't remember. I was searching my brain, but then I, I remember what we did. Every morning back in those days, I would drive two kids to school, my two boys. And we would pray by name for missionaries. We prayed for Jeff. Jeff said to me, he said, that kept me going. He said, that kept me going. The people back in the States would remember us. I'm calling you to pray. Just remember them by name to prayer. Every Sunday, we're bringing you names of church planters and missionaries and people just like you. A young man came up to me a week ago Sunday. He said, um, wasn't from this country, was south of here. He said, your church had an impact me on, on me. I was down south. And I was thinking about your church, 2015, I was thinking about your church and how your church taught me citizenship and English as a second language and that your church had no racism or prejudice. And then he says to me, you think I can be baptized? What do you think I said to him? Yeah, right now? See, he'd grown up in a tradition where faith just happened because your, your parents baptized you as an infant. It had nothing to do with him. He had no Bible in those days. But this church, volunteers like you, made a difference. Here's a simple way to start. Pray. Pray with your kids. Second, do your children know your testimony? Do they know how you came to faith in Christ? Do they know those big moments in your life when God spoke to you? Watch my hand carefully. This happens frequently. I do so many funerals. I will be talking. You'll be in my office. We'll be talking about how your mom and your dad and planning their funeral. They've just passed away. We'll be talking about the Rangers. We'll be talking about their favorite recipes they made for you and holidays, and it'll just be moving along. And then oftentimes we'll talk about Bible and faith, and it just goes down, and the room gets silent. Do you know their favorite Bible verse? Anything that they did in ministry in the church, and there's nothing. Well, I know Dad was, he was NRA. I know Dad was this political party. I know you didn't bring this up. He was this piece, but about Christ in the church. Do they know your personal testimony? Do they know what's right here in your heart? God's not going to ask you about the Texas Rangers season on the final exam of life. You can pray about who wins later today, but he doesn't care about that. God's not going to ask you how many touchdowns Tony Romo had one day. I know that's the most exciting thing on a Sunday for many of you. He didn't care about that. There's coming a day when you will be before the throne of God and your next generation will. Begin with praying with them. Begin by telling them your testimony. And don't be afraid to repeat it often. Thanks for listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org.